Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hello and welcome to the Gig Impressing Transfer Roundup Show. My name is Stefan Binkowski and he's Manu V. Manu, how you doing? Yeah, I'm doing all right. How about you? All good? Yeah, cannot complain. It's almost the end of the weekend. Uh, almost the end of the week, rather. Uh, so <laughs> always a little optimistic. I always feel like I have a kind of spring in my step when we do this show because it's always like the end of the week. The hard work's kind of been done. Uh, <laughs> I'm already, I already have plans for what I'm doing at the weekend. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, you're a little bit ahead of me. I, you, you, I guess it's Thursday night for you. Thursday yeah. morning, so I still have to slug through all of Thursday and all of Friday. <laughs> but we're getting there. It's almost the weekend, and um, it's actually our last free weekend, I guess, before the Bundesliga kicks off. Um, then we have to watch games again. <laughs> uh, have to. A tricky thing it's called tough football. Life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit kind of weird when we do these podcasts because I always record it basically at the end of the day. You record it at the start of the day, which. Is exactly why, as some listeners have pointed out, you can often sometimes hear me yawning because we do record it quite late in the day for me. But yeah, I feel fine right now. Um, and yeah, we've got a whole bunch of transfer questions and stories and rumours to get stuck into. So I guess we'll just kind of jump straight into that, Manu, right after this break. This episode of the Gegenpressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Basketball is back and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds team matchup info, player news, and game trends at BetOnline. And is your continued source for all sports wagering information. BetOnline features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events, whether that's NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. Head to BetOnline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. That's it, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online, where the game starts. So the first question here is, you know, about Bayern Munich, which, you know, as always, we did beg our listeners not to talk about Manuel Neuer. And sure enough, they have done that. One subscriber did ask us if we thought he was any good at skiing, which I think we could probably save for another podcast. Uh, but this mm. one question here is quite good. Uh, it says, do Bayern really need to get a right back replacement for Pavard? Assuming Mazrui fully recovers, at what point do they let Stanisic play? Uh, he looks solid. Some of the games he's played for Croatia seem deserving of a shot, or at least to be loaned out to develop. So it's quite an interesting topic right mm. now, Manu, because you know Bayern have a whole list of injuries, but when it comes to right back, they're actually possibly contending with one of their, their kind of senior players moving on, uh, which would leave them with only one kind of experienced player there. So does Stanisic get the call up, or do you think they're going to move on, move him on, and get someone else in? Well, I, I do think that they're going to sign another centre-back, right? Um, which is probably where they're going to see their uh, Benjamin Pavard replacement. And and that player may be similar to what they did with Dale Blind on the left side, right? Um, someone who can maybe play multiple positions. Um, and this could be a short-term fix. This could be something that they look into a little bit more long-term. What we actually thought was quite interesting, we looked into this uh, before the, the show, right? Stefan was um, in... For Stanisic, he can actually play all four roles um, in the in the back four. Um, so mm. left back, center back, center back right, center back left, uh, and right back right. Um, mm. He has played one game there for Croatia during the World Cup. Um, Junuzovic was the, the number one choice there, who plays for Celtic, and um, you know, so it was hard for him to get get past that. But I think. You look at Stanisic's um, development, 
you either trust the player or you move him on and give him the opportunity to play somewhere else, right? I think that's mm. that's essentially where we are at with him right now. Um, my, my indication is that we're looking at a similar kind of thing that Bayern did with Dalai Blend. If they do something in the winter, bring in some experienced player who can maybe help out in the short term, perhaps can play multiple roles, um, add some depth, and then they're going to look and see what's going to happen with Benjamin Pavard if he indeed does move on in the in the summer, which I think is the likeliest scenario at the moment. I think that all parties have come sort of to the conclusion that it's time to do end this chapter and do something different. And Barcelona are, are knocking heavily on the door, although I'm not quite sure how they have <laughs> any money left and which financial levers they're going to pull now to, to get any of these signings across. But they are very interested in the player. And so... You know, my indication with that is that once Benjamin Pavard does move on, they're going to give Stanisic the opportunity to compete there. But at the same time, they're still going to be open and looking for another player. Yeah, I think with Stanisic, I do sometimes wonder if he's almost a victim of his own usefulness. Mm. You know, he's kind of like a jack of all trades without really being a master of any of them. He obviously came through in the youth side, if I'm not mistaken, at Bayern. I think he actually started as a central defender. Then he's played left back at times. Uh, and then he very much became a right back. But in as in, in the senior team, he's kind of been this player who can kind of play across the back line, mm. which has perhaps got in the way of him developing into a very you know specific defender. Um, I do kind of wonder whether he's he, he ever has really shown he's good enough to play for Bayern on the on the long term, um, which yeah. is perhaps why someone like Masri was signed in the end at the end of the day. Um, so, I mean. Dali Blinds joined the club might suggest that they're not specifically worried about right back and the fact that since Blind can obviously play at central defence it might mean Stanisic just, does just kind of develop into that kind of backup right back and he just kind of competes with Mazrui mm. for that role um, but yeah as you said they might have to bring in another central defender and there's obviously the fact that like Matthias De Ligt for example still hasn't really got going at Bayern either so yeah it's it's all up in the air to be perfectly honest with you, but if I was Stanisic, I think I would pro- I would probably be pushing for some sort of kind of confirmation that you can get some game time if he wants to be an understudy to Masri, then fair enough. But if not, I'm sure there's plenty of uh, you know big Bundesliga sides that would be more than happy to pick him up. Strikes me as a player who would just I don't know why, but Gladcap Gladback keeps popping into my head. Maybe it's because that's the next question, but a club like that, um, although they've already got a good right back, but that kind of level. Uh, might be exactly what he needs because you know even even Philip Lamb had to move on and get uh, game mm. time you know or um, Yosha Kimmich, Serge Gnabry, all these kids, all these guys had to go get game time at some point uh, because the path to the first team just wasn't open for them. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I I wouldn't be surprised if he moved on the summer. To be perfectly honest with you. Yeah, I think the the one thing to add here is that um, Stanisic is of course born and raised in Munich, right? Um, he, he does play for Croatia, but he is a Munich boy. And I think the club, this is maybe something that they are a little bit wary of, that there isn't many players that have come, come through to the academy and actually made the first team. Um, of course, Jama, they count, I think they are counting Jama Musiala, although I think they cheated that path a little bit. Um, the one before that was the two before that was David Alaba um, and Thomas Müller, right? And Thomas, only Thomas Müller is actually a, a Munich boy. Um, so I think that is something that they're a little bit wary of, and that's maybe why he's going to get a few more opportunities. And also the the other thing is, let's keep them keep in mind, Stanisic has, I mean, he has only played that one game for Croatia, right? But like at the same time, he was part of that side, and as a Croatian national team player, he he will get a lot of exposure um, for a country that does very well in tournaments. So I could see them say, "Look, this is your job to lose." Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another club who are potentially looking at a lot of kind of transfer news uh, and a lot of transfer kind of speculation and movement this window are Gladbach. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I kind of joked on Twitter the other day that no one seems to want to stay at Gladbach. Uh, and it's kind of one of those situations where we're the last person at the club turn the light off before they leave. Um, but there's been so much, so much speculation over their key players, man, in the last couple of weeks. We've obviously talked about Jan Sommer endlessly. Uh, he seems to be Bayern's preference to replace Manuel Neuer in the short term, uh, which you know we've talked about yeah. in previous podcasts. So I don't think there's really much to add to that. Uh, we even talked about it actually in the bonus show so uh, this week. So yeah, you can go back and look at yeah. that. 
Um, of course, Marcus Turam is the another big player who's been linked. I think he's been linked to Chelsea and Barcelona, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and mm-hmm. of course, there's Coney as well, the defensive midfielder or box to box midfielder, however you want to call it, uh, label him. Uh, and he's been linked with quite a lot of Premier League clubs, but also in the last couple of days, RB Leipzig have been heavily linked with him uh, as a p- potential signing. Where, where you know, and I guess the question here is, you know, they're obviously moving on the left back as well, who's apparently meant to be moving on to um, Dortmund. So the question is, who yeah. will be replacing all these players? Uh, and there appears to be quite a lot of turnover. And he obviously, the the, the subscriber whose name I don't think uh, I have to hand says, you know, Luca Nets is a potential replacement uh, for the Dortmund born Dortmund going left back. Mm. Sorry. Uh, so yeah, where does this leave Gladbach, Manu? Well, with a lot of holes to fill, <laughs> you know, that, as you said, that's, that's a lot of players that are reportedly on the move. Um, and, and I think that quite a lot of these stories are, have a lot of legs. I mean, Marcus Turam is the latest player linked to Chelsea. Um, you know, at some point <laughs> working for Transfermarkt, I'm worried that we're basically just reporting on Chelsea transfers these days. Um, <laughs> it's because there's so many of them, but he's been heavily linked to Chelsea. I'm not sure why, to be honest, because um, they have secured the signing of Christopher and Kunku, right? That deal is across the line. And um, I'm not sure why Marcus Turam then needs to go to Chelsea if he pretty much comp- fills that same space. But, well, you never quite know with them, right? So um, then there is the Ben Zabaini, who is eternally linked to Borussia Dortmund. Um, that deal hasn't it hasn't gotten anywhere closer. Um, I actually think that if Dortmund are smart, Stefan, they would go after Lucas Nets instead, right? Hmm. That would probably be a signing that has a lot more upside. He's he's a young German international, um, youth international, I should say. Um, he's a player that, because of that, will, will develop um, in terms of market value significantly, especially if he makes that first team. There's not many Germans on the, in that position that are in front of him, right? So if he does play for a top club, he could probably make that German national team pretty quickly with regular mm. game time. So I'm actually kind of surprised Dortmund are not going after him instead. Um, having said that, if Benzebaini leaves, Gladbach have a fantastic prospect at hand. Um, and that is a very good player developed by Hertha Berlin. Berlin is one of those cities that develop a young, a lot of young talent. So I, I think, you know, they're quite happy to maybe cash in on some of the other assets. Um, yeah. The one that I think, and this is probably the most interesting one, Stefan, is Manu Kone. Um, market value, 25 million euros, right? And mm-hmm. Leip- he he looks like a Leipzig player already in so many ways. And Max Eberl is, of course, now the sporting director at Leipzig. I just wonder if Eberl knows something about Kone's contract that we don't. Hmm. Do you think that's potentially why Leipzig have kind of jumped in here in the 11th hour, even though he's been linked to, I think Liverpool's a club he's been linked to quite heavily. Um, do you think maybe Leipzig yeah. might be able to kind of almost kind of just squeeze in there ahead of the queue and nab him before they really know what's going on? Well, there's insider knowledge going on here, right? <laughs> he both signed the guy um, originally from Toulouse for Gladbach. Um, I think he went then back on loan first and then then came and then arrived at Gladbach um and has been an outstanding player ever since um yet another French talent that is just looking magnificent right um and you know how well Leipzig does with French players they have a track record of developing them really well they are going to lose Konrad Leimer to um, Bayern Munich and I think if you lose Konrad Leimer and you bring in Manu Kone that's a net that's you do you look better on the other end of that deal. And mm. let's say, okay, his market value, Manu Kuna's market value right now is 25 million euros. I, I'm alluding to an exit clause. I don't know if it exists or not. I, I just say that Ebal probably knows this, he knows this contract better than anyone else because he was the one who signed it. Um, but they are getting the 70 million euros for Nkunku, right? Mm. That is good money invested because Leipzig don't need to sign a striker. They have they have the Nkunku succession already figured out. So they could take that money and say, oh yeah, Lima is going to leave us, who by the way, hasn't really been featured much for Leipzig anyways. And we can just sign, pluck this kid from, from Gladbach and we'll actually look better um, by the mm. time the dust settles. Yeah, I completely agree. It seems like a pretty obvious deal, especially you wouldn't usually expect Gladbach to sell a player to Leipzig 
happily. Uh, you'd probably expect him to demand a yeah. sizable fee, and you would expect maybe Coney to demand a sizable fee, but. Um, Leipzig do actually have a good track record of kind of snapping up these kind of Bundesliga talents. We saw it with David Raum actually last year when it seemed as though Dortmund and Bayern Munich were, you know, at each other's necks to sign this guy. Then Leipzig kind of slide in there and very, very quickly they're able to kind of snap them up, you know. We actually have a question later on the show to kind of specifically talk about Leipzig. So I'll kind of bite my tongue mm. there and just kind of move on to another player that the question asked about, which is Marcus Turam. Um and I actually do think Gladbach might have some sort of exit strategy here for him. So although he's been linked with Chelsea and Barcelona, um, the reports in Germany kind of suggest that he doesn't actually want to leave mm. in January. Uh, he's kind of pushing for a summer move when his contract expires. Uh, I think it's Chelsea in particular who are trying to sign him now. And I think he's a bit apprehensive about maybe moving, making that move when everything just seems to be up in the air at Stamford Bridge. Um, and interestingly enough... Um, Gladbach have been in this in this kind of um, winter break, been experimenting with their forward line, and Daniel Fark kind of made a point of playing Ingumu, who was the winger that they signed from Toulouse yeah. uh, in in the summer transfer window. Uh, they made a habit of playing him as a central forward, and you know he kind of lavished him with praise after the game. He said he reminded him a little bit of Obama Yang as a young player which is no small thing coming from Daniel Fark. And of course, you know how well he did at Dortmund and in the Bundesliga. Um, and even though he said, you know, you know, Nathan's natural position is on the right flank, I think it's probably important for us to start trying to play him as a central forward because we relied so heavily on Marcus Turam in the first half of the season. I think he said something like, you know, we beat every second of, it, of yeah. the games out of Marcus Turam. So... I think he's quite politically saying, oh, well, you know, we can't just have one striker playing up front all games, you know, every weekend. Uh, we need to have some sort of support. But perhaps behind closed doors, he's thinking, right, well, I'm obviously going to lose this guy uh, either this month or in six months' time, mm. probably more so in six months' time. Uh, so let's try and develop this winger that we have uh, into some sort of pacey forward and see if that works. So. Things at Gladbach look quite concerning, but they may end up going getting a good price for Kone. They might have a replacement for um they might have a replacement for Turam in six months' time. And they've also got a very exciting left back coming through. So as ever, Manu, it seems like Gladbach, every time they kind of lose a star player, they've got two younger ones coming through, and maybe that's why they're called the Foles. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that was that was the traditional name, right? They used to be the um, the young foals, sort of the foals, I guess. Foals is young, a young horse. <laughs> um, but that's a tradition. That's a name that goes back to the seventies when yeah. um, the young fallen, um, when they were the the team that produced, unlike Bayern, long or so at least that was the perception. It's actually not true when you look into it into detail. Bayern Munich and Gladbach produced all the players themselves. Um, there wasn't actually that much signing done back then, but uh, the Falls were was the nickname of the team because they were, had such a good academy, um, which is something that they have struggled with in recent decades. I don't even want to say recent years. I want to say recent decades because they haven't really produced a young player themselves in quite some time. Um, so you kind of hope that maybe they can get back to that, right? Um, I mean... We had Freddie Bobic on earlier the show about the lack of youth development in, in German football. Um, and there's a, quite a few clubs that maybe need to get back to these roots. And Glapp I, I actually tossed Gladbach in that because although Gladbach itself isn't a big city, they're part of a very big metropolitan region. You know, you know it quite well, Stefan. You've lived there, right? Um, so there is, there's a lot of young players that you could probably find there. And I think they need to kind of get back to that. And if you know, if you can throw in, a young guy like Lucas Nets, even though they haven't really developed him himself either. Um, mm. I think that's probably something to, they want to get back to the roots too. I think a lot of German clubs kind of want to do this and they kind of maybe have to in order to be competitive with the Premier League. Um, I remember mm. you a few years ago wrote an article on this actually. Um, I remember reading it when the Bundesliga signed their big TV deal and then started to spend a lot more money rather than developing their own players. I think mm -hmm. maybe it's time to go back to that. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think Gladbach have always kind of, at least under Eberl, they had 
I mean, they were able to take advantage of just simple geography, I think. Uh, you know, Gladbach, mm. it's interesting you say they're part of a large metropolitan area because when I think of Gladbach, I think of it being in the middle of nowhere, to be honest with you. Uh, <laughs> it is technically next to Cologne, but it's also very far away from Cologne. It's also quite isolated. Maybe I'm just thinking of the stadium itself. Uh, you know, and the town itself is not very yeah. big. Um, so, but I think Gladbach were maybe able to get ahead because they're obviously the proximity to Holland, for example, was just across the border. Uh, and I think obviously mm. France isn't too far away as well. So they're obviously, I think they more than most German clubs were able to kind of jump on that kind of Ligue 1 and Eredivisie, you know, bandwagon or, or just grab up these young players who are developing there and say, well, you come play for us, you're only maybe three or four hours from your house, you know, from your home. Um, So, you know, they've kind of got that. Maybe that's why they kind of put a bit more emphasis on that rather than developing their own players. So, but I think there's, I think it's an interesting question. I think especially after, obviously, Abril's moved on to RB Leipzig and the kind of constant turnover of head coaches that they've had in recent years, I think there probably is something of a kind of um, identity crisis at Gladbach that probably has to be fixed. Um, to the extent that they have to kind of figure out what kind of club are they? are they are they one of these kind of smart analytical clubs are they more of a community club like for example like Freiburg or Union Berlin and they kind of and they, and they kind mm-hmm. of they trade on that uh, or are they a club that want to be more ambitious maybe like a Frankfurt who because they still do get a very good crowd every week you know so um, yeah they've got a huge support they've also got a huge support they've got a huge historic support in Germany as well based largely based on what you kind of said there couple of minutes ago about the way they used to go toe-to-toe with Bayern Munich. Um, so, yeah, mm. it'll be really interesting to see what they do. But I think actually, as, as, as down as I have been on Gladbach in some time now, I kind of think that that squad's okay. I think Daniel Fark's doing a pretty decent job there. I know, you know, I think results have been kind of back and forth and they have kind of regressed to the mean a little bit and kind of dropped back into that mid-table. But I think that's fine for the time being while they kind of transition into something new. Um, the next question mm-hmm. um, is on Leverkusen and actually I'll probably grab this one man just because I've got a bit of inside info on this one so yeah. uh, subscriber says Noah Mbamba to Leverkusen what do you think and then he says do you think Leverkusen can still make top 7 given that Furtz is back and they've been in good form recently so um, what I've been told is that <clears throat> Noah Mbamba is basically done uh, so he's a kind of young 18 year old defensive midfielder from I think it's Club Bruges, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I had it. Had to it's Club Bruges, yeah. It's Club Bruges, yeah. So they have got that deal signed and sorted, but uh, I don't think we should expect to see him join the club until the summer. So I think it was Kicker uh, who initially reported the story. And yeah, I mean, I think that's a really smart signing in a sense. It's a very kind of Leverkusen signing. Uh, you know, it's this kind of young player who they've managed to pick up, joins the club, and then we were joking before we came on air, he's... One of these players, you'll probably end up moving for 40 or 50 million euros before anyone even really knows what he is. But uh, that seems to be kind of done and dusted. And I think another important one that's probably worth mentioning here as well is Piro Incapi, who, at least in the English press, yeah. has been hev- heavily linked with a move in January. Uh, I'm not entirely sure why he keeps getting brought up in these conversations. He's been linked with Chelsea, with Tottenham. Uh, World Cup. <laughs> Well, yeah, and I, I think that's why it's the World Cup, Stefan. Yeah, I think as well, his age and his profile also means he gets included in a lot of these kind of analytical shortlists that uh, you know club scouts and data analysts kind of put together. They say, mm-hmm. well, this guy's got X amount of minutes in the Bundesliga. He's so he's he's still very young, actually, if I'm not mistaken. He's only um, twenty one. Yeah. Uh, he just turned twenty one, actually. And, you know, he's obviously quite highly regarded in Germany as well. The reality is that obviously, as any Leverkusen fan will tell you, he's by no means the the finished article. uh, And there's still quite a lot of work for him to be done, which you can say about almost all that Leverkusen team. So much potential, so much talent, but by no means the finished product. Um, But what I've been told Mm -hmm. by folk at the club um, is that, look, they appreciate there's a lot of attention, but he's going nowhere. Uh, he's got a really long-term yeah. contract, 2026. Uh, I don't think there's a release clause. I can't say for certain if there is, but they're very confident that he's going nowhere. So, yeah, it's, it's, to kind of sum that all up, I would say, you know, I don't really expect Leverkusen to make a lot of big signings in January. They're probably They've already kind of snapped up in Bamber for the summer. 
but I don't think they're going to make any sales any sales either. And I think for them, and especially for Xabi Alonso and for Florian Verts, it's just a case of just kind of getting that squad back on the pitch, getting everyone back fit and ready. Mm. And as we've kind of talked about for much of the season, as we talked about going into the season, um, Leverkusen think they have one of the best squads in the league and they're still convinced that they do. They're still entirely myth mm. as to why it didn't work out under the last manager. But there's no real reason why they would sell or buy new players right now because they probably feel like they've already got enough talent to get them where they have to be. Yeah. And I think they're right, personally, Stefan. I think they're absolutely right about that assessment. Um I spent some time with them in in US right after the first half of the season ended and um, was able to talk to some people people there about this and um, also got to see uh, Javi Alonso work firsthand, which was really fascinating too. And I think they're quite right in that assessment. I think Florian Wirtz, um in the training sessions that I saw him, he looked really good. He's since played in in friendlies, right? Um, and I think for that, like he's like a world class signing for them now coming back from that injury and mm. um, a player who, you know, we have spoken so highly this entire season about Jamal Musiala and what he has done and how impactful he has been for Bayern Munich. Florian Wirtz is probably just as good, right? And that's the kind of player that Bayer Leverkusen are getting back. Um, and that's, I think, quite huge for them. It looks like they're also going to be able to keep uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi, right? Um, that's a player that we also featured quite a bit. And I think, you know, you look at that, squ- that squad from top to bottom, um, with the exception of maybe the goalkeeper, but I think that's something that they want to maybe address at some point soon as well. Um, this is a really good team. And I, you know, the question asked whether they could make the top seven, I wouldn't be shocked if they make the top five. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't even have a league table to hand and it's been about four months since I've thought about the Bundesliga league table. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. let me just pull it up there. Yeah, there's, there's. I do remember going into the kind of winter break that there's so much, there's far, there's, there's very little going into it. And yeah, there's currently, mm. what, seven, seven points off sixth place, uh, nine points off fifth. No, I completely agree with you. I mean, Leverkusen's always a case of looking for consistency. Um, mm. And I think that's obviously... And, and they've got all the tools to hand to do that in the second half of the season. I would not be surprised at all if they do kind of fly up that league table. Uh, and if they don't, Xabi Alonso won't be long for his job there and they'll find someone else to replace him in the summer. But... Uh, yeah, I completely agree with you. I think the floor we can't really overstate just how important Florian Verts is for that team. You're completely right. It's 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 the equivalent of Jamal Musiala just getting dropped into that team and yeah. getting asked to fix things because you know I think we both agree they are comparable talents. Um, so that's mm. the kind of player we're talking here. And let's not forget that you know I doubt our listeners need to be reminded of how good Jamal Musiala has been this season. But he's quite literally Bayern Munich's top goal scorer. You know he's he's he, and top goal scorer and playmaker. So we're talking about a player who's arguably as good as the best player in the league right now so yeah i think leverkusen um i think they're very calm i think they're very collected i think they're quite happy just i think the winter break would have came the perfect time for them um and i'm sure xabi alonso has been working quite hard in the background but yeah i don't really i don't really expect incapi to move on um and i think they should be okay uh in the second half of the season but i guess you never really know with leverkusen to a large extent but Let's move on to the next question. Uh, we got one here on Mainz. Uh, so they've been linked with a South Korean player, Manu mm-hmm. uh, Song Cho. Uh, yeah. He's also been linked with Celtic and Minnesota. And our subscriber says, uh, you know, Gungsong, Gusong Cho, I hope I pronounced that properly, to Mainz, question mark. I fear Celtic or even Minnesota United might price us out of a move, but badly needed a striker due to injuries to Burkhart. Now, before I let you jump in there, because I know you do have some information on this, I'm just going to quickly jump in here and say that uh, there was an update on Burkhart that um, Christian Heidel gave, and he basically said they expect him back after two games. So, you know, I know he kind of had uh, a big injury, and I think there's maybe a setback as well. I think they're kind of hoping they'd be able to come back uh, for the second half of the season, but he's going to be back after two games. I think he's. they said he's currently in rehabilitation in Munich right now. So... Mm-hmm. I'll let you kind of jump in on this, Manu, because, you know, obviously Minnesota are a team that you cover quite extensively. And, yeah, do you think do you think he's moving to Mainz? Do you think he's moving to MLS? Or do you think he's moving to Celtic? 
Yeah, there has been reports. Um, Tom Bogart has reported that um, Minnesota interested. Uh, Fabrizio Romano has jumped on the bandwagon today, right, with a report mentioning a bunch of other MLS teams as well. Um, the one thing I want to point out here is that MLS teams are not allowed to compete with one another over a signature of a player, right? It's a single entity league, which means that the contract, the player signs a contract with the league and then the, the, the player then plays for the club that is, he's sort of assigned to, uh, is the easiest way to say that. So he is linked to Minnesota United. Ignore all these other MLS teams for now. As long as Minnesota United are interested in the player, they have, they hold his MLS rights and they're the only ones able to negotiate with him, right? So having said all that, um, maybe you can then add your bits on Celtic because I'm not 100% sure what their price category is. But Minnesota United, um, MLS teams do have a have, you know, they're all backed by billionaire owners. Um, they, the amount of money that they can spend is often higher to a limited extent to what um, teams in the Bundesliga can pay for. Uh, for these kind of players, um, because they can, they have certain slots that they call the designated player slots. Some of our American listeners will probably roll with their eyes by now because they know all of this, but, um, I know the questioner is from Northern Ireland, so probably not aware. And which means that for this designated player spot, they can spend as much on the player in terms of wage and in transfer fee as they want to. Um, without getting um, a maximum charge on on their salary cap, right? It's a salary cap league, um, which means they could probably out outspend mines if they really wanted to, if they really wanted this profile of player. Um, mm. My understanding is he's still owned by Nottingham. He was one of those 5,000 players that Nottingham signed last <laughs> summer um, and then loaned out to their other club, Olympiacos, right? So I'm not quite sure how the ownership structure here works. How much money Nottingham want in the end of the day is is very interesting as well because I think their principle was to buy as many players as possible, use the few that they need, and then sell on the rest with a profit, which is probably also bad news for mines. Um, so I think if if Minnesota really want a guy and he wants to go to MLS, it'd be very difficult for mines to compete on a financial mm. level in terms of uh, in terms of salary. Um, Another factor here is too is I think taxes are quite a lot lower in in Minnesota than they are in Germany, um, so he would pay a lower tax rate as well, which for some players is important, right? If you make mm. five six million and you don't have to pay a high tax on it, that salary goes up even more. Um, so these are these are factors. But on the other hand, if the player wants to stay in a top four league, then Minnesota can pay as much as they want to um, because they're not in a top four league. Mines is. And mm. and in the long term, he could probably increase his market value a lot more uh, playing for Mines than for Minnesota. Um, I, I'm just curious. Do you think Celtic could outbid Mines in this, Stefan? You have a bit of a better handle on them than I do. Yeah, I was just thinking about this actually because um, I think Mines have actually been quite upfront about it. I think Heidel basically said, you know... Um, they basically valued him at under three million euros, and they basically said that um, mm. the rum- the rumors coming from the other clubs that are interested is that they're they're willing to pay more than that. Um, now Celtic have uh, under the they've Ange Postecoglou, who's been the head coach for a couple of seasons now, and he came from Australia and came from Asian football in particular, actually Japanese yeah. football, and with that has been this kind of new wave of kind of players from the Far East, and I wouldn't be surprised if this guy. Is, is undoubtedly on their radar. And if I'm not mistaken, they're also looking to sell. They've got a um, Greek forward, um, Giacomakis. Mm. Uh, goes how much I've said his name this season, Giacomakis, um, which I think I've probably butchered it, to be honest with you. But anyway, um, he's expected to move on January as well for quite a large sum of money. So I wouldn't be surprised if they use that to maybe sign yeah. uh, this guy. But I guess it just depends to be seen whether... Um, you know, he wants to move to MLS or whether he thinks a move to Celtic might be better for his profile. And only I'm only saying that just because there's quite a lot of Japanese players who've made the move to Scotland recently that has improved their careers in terms of yeah. their, their standing. Uh, so Celtic does seem to be a, a useful stepping stone. But either way, it looks as though Mainz are probably going to get pushed out of this one. Um, and, I, and I'd go so far as to say that it's maybe not that big of a deal because it looks like Burkhart uh, might be coming back yeah. sooner than uh, anticipated. Having said that, he hasn't been in great form this season. So even once he does return from injury, uh, he's going to have to kind of turn something around there. Um, or Svensson himself is maybe going to have to change something to get something to get more out of him. 
Um, so, mm. yeah, I think we'll just maybe leave that one as that, unless you've got anything else to add about Minnesota. No, um, I think that covers it well. I, maybe the only thing that I thought interesting, that Celtic striker you mentioned, and I'm not even going to attempt to say his name, is also linked with a move to MLS. No. <laughs> it's uh, a small world after yeah. all. Eh? Nothing to add on minds. <laughs> yeah, it's not a big f- football world. Is not that big. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, you know I was actually thinking about that today because um, there's a player, there's a Japanese player who's um, moving to Motherwell, which is a club just outside Glasgow where Celtic are based. Mm. Um, and I found it it's it's so peculiar that we have this this kind of link between players in Japan and Scotland moving back and forth. Um, I thought there's no other industry yeah. in the world where you'd have that direct link between people thinking, well, yeah. should I give up Tokyo for Glasgow? Who knows? Anyway, um, our final question uh, and our subscriber question uh, is on RB Leipzig, which I referenced earlier in the show, Manu. It's, it's quite an interesting mm-hmm. one, which I think is a good one to kind of wrap up the show. Uh, I know people have issues yeah. with RB Leipzig and how they're run as a club. They seem to be the only club trying to beat Bayern and make the league more interesting. I have no clue what Dortmund is trying to do. I cannot believe the lack of quality they have compared to 2015. Let me know if I'm wrong on this uh, take. And he says, thanks from Asheville NC. I'm pretty sure I got pulled up on this last time and I tried to guess what NC stands for. Any ideas? NC? No, I don't know. NC, what the, Asheville NC. I'm actually going to Google this because I, I think. Oh, both- Asheville, Asheville NC. Yeah, that's North Carolina. Uh, North I Carolina. should know this because I've been there. Oh, well, there you go. Then, uh. <laughs> I went there. I, I went there for a wedding in April. Um, oh, yeah, sorry, I was zoning out there for a second. It's now Asheville, could North this Carolina. Be, which could this potentially be the groom from the wedding you were at earlier on? Oh, I hope not. Uh, i hope not if if nate starts Uh, asking questions on this podcast then i'm gonna throw out the phone (laughs) um so Uh, hardcore chelsea supporter he has a beef with me anyways (laughs) let's 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 talk about the question he asks then he says uh are Mm. dortmund far worse than they were in 2015 and why are they so much worse in the transfer window than rb leipzig Well, I think with everything, anything you can say about RB Leipzig and the ownership model, um, there is also the truth that they have done things um, a lot more in a way that is more a lot more forward thinking than most other teams in German football, right? Um, they have a very strong analytics department. Um, I, I think one of the analytics guys is actually a regular listener to the show. So, hey, how's it going? Um, and... <laughs> <laughs> they have a very good good training center. They have, you know, they have this, um, and again, you can think about it any way you want, but they do own multiple clubs. Um, Red Bull is, as a company, not just successful in, in soccer, but also in other sports, um, like, like hockey, like all the skiing competitions. They do a lot of, um, you know, extreme sports. Um, and a lot of these sports require a strong analytical background of mind. And, They've sort of transferred that knowledge to to football, um, and and I think that is really important here that they have sort of spearheaded this analytical revolution in German football. Bayern Munich, of course, do it now too. Their their analytics department is quite large too, um, but Leipzig is the one that that started it and has um, an extensive network with this. And so I think they're just better at transfers because they are not. I mean, when you look at the amount of money that they're spending, it's not earth shattering by any means, right? They're just faster oftentimes than other clubs. And mm. um, I think what is also really fascinating, this is just not Leipzig, it's also Salzburg. Salzburg has an even bigger drainage because Salzburg has to deal with the Premier League clubs rating them and Leipzig also taking the cream of the crop every year, right? From, from Salzburg. Mm. And they also do this. They always seem not just two transfers ahead, but sometimes three or four, right? They know that, oh, we have this guy. We're going to lose him. We're going to lose this replacement eventually too. So we have to have a replacement for a replacement. And Leipzig are very much in the, in the same vein. And, you know, we all wondered why they were going in for Timo Werner in the summer. Why they signed then on top of that Benjamin Sesht go from Salzburg. Um, because they knew 
at that point already that Christopher Nkunku was going to leave. And this gives them an entire year to sort of prepare. And I think the moves that you've seen, they are just preemptive moves already for something else that's probably going to happen. You know, now they, we talked about early in the show, Conrad Leimer is going to leave, Manu Kohn is going to come in. This just seemed to be always a step ahead of it. And that's really good planning. And in Max Eberl, they now have not, they have signed a guy who has done this at Gladbach. Um, at Gladbach, though, he was, he always had to generate large transfer sums to, just to keep the club going. At Leipzig, he can generate tran- large transfer sums, but he doesn't have to, right? Mm-hmm. He has the luxury of signing a player and say like, okay, this guy we're actually going to keep. This guy we're going to buy and move on because we already have this other guy who's potentially better. Right. Um, and I think that's going to, that's going to make them even more dangerous on the transfer market. Um, I think in many ways, I talked to an industry source, um, yesterday about this. Leipzig is the only club that, that can sort of go in for the kind of category transfers that Bayern Munich are looking at. Right. Because mm-hmm. even Bayern Munich are now looking in that, in that, that top shelf for young talent. Um, I mean, they were in for David Raum, for example, and that top shelf for, the biggest talent in in Germany and abroad is is very expensive, and in some ways Dortmund are already kind of priced out of that segment, and it's really just Leipzig and Bayern Munich that are in there, um, and I think that makes them, you know, in the medium term at least, and we're going to find out very quickly whether they're competitive or not on match day sixteen. Uh, that is right when they are playing Bayern Munich, and i think in a nutshell that's that's where it all comes from they're just a really raw one club with a really good infrastructure that has embraced certain modern approaches far faster and earlier than other teams yeah i completely agree with you there they certainly are a club who have embraced analytics embraced the kind of data revolution in football uh and they were able to kind of do it at scale because they're obviously part of a much bigger network uh mm. a network which they obviously lean on quite heavily as you mentioned there i mean the number of players have moved from salzburg to leipzig is is quite heavy they've missed out on some big ones obviously erlin Haaland's the most obvious one uh, so it's not a yeah. kind of full it's not like they kind of put a gun to these guys heads and make them make the move to saxony but it just so happens that you know leipzig have put together a project which a lot of players are happy to move on to um I think there's two other things that we definitely have to mention here. I think number one uh, is that they also have just a buttload of money. You know, like there's no two ways about this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Leipzig are well funded by the Red Bull company, so much so that although they don't really, uh, if I'm not mistaken, they don't actually publish their financial results, but I actually wouldn't be surprised if they're now making more money than Dortmund, or at the very least, they're spending more money than Dortmund. Uh, I know in transfer marks, we have them higher than Dortmund in terms of transfer fees paid. Uh, and I also wouldn't be surprised yeah. if they're probably paying a higher wage bill. You know, if you want to compare Dortmund and Leipzig right now, you only have to look at the fact that Leipzig already have three or four players in their squad that can replace Chris von Kunku. They've also got Sesko arriving in the summer who they would have off, they would have promised a healthy fee. Healthy fee. Uh, and in comparison, Dortmund are haggling with Mukuku over the sake of two or three million euros a year. So they are in very different situations. And I think that also kind of bleeds into the cultures at the club as well. Uh, now, mm. if you look on paper and if you kind of just if you if you just kind of look at the surface level, they're kind of in the same position. They're both two big clubs in Germany. Uh, they both make a reasonable amount of money. Uh, they both struggle to beat Bayern to the league title, and they're both routinely uh, raided by the Premier League for bigger player for their players who want to move on and play a higher level and challenge for silverware. But I think the difference between Leipzig and Dortmund is that where Dortmund have accepted that fact and actually have baked it into their revenue system uh, to the extent that mm-hmm. Dortmund know that they have to get top price for Jude Bellingham for Jaden Sancho and even for Erling Haaland, even though they had to promise him a release clause to get him at the club in the first place. Yeah. Uh, I'm not entirely sure that's the case at RB Leipzig. I know Leipzig do have to kind of make the same promises to these players. They promised Christopher Nkunku they'd sell him at a set price. They probably promised Josco Guardiola something very similar that he'll be able to move, you know, next season, uh, next, so the summer after this coming one. Uh, but I don't think that's something yeah. that they have to kind of run by their accountants the same way that Dortmund do. And I think that also then leads to a different culture at the club. You know, I think uh, I think anyone who's outside of a Bayern Munich fan would love to see Dortmund challenging for league title as they once did under Jurgen Klopp. But it just strikes me as the culture of that club's very different. They're, they're absolutely petrified 
of labeling themselves as the de facto competitors to Bayern. Uh, you know, I think, Manu, you've even spoke to club people at the club directly for this podcast and for our newsletter. Yeah. And certainly the impression I think you reported back to me. And then if you go to Leipzig, it's a completely different situation. They come from a much larger yeah. kind of sporting culture, a much larger, yeah, sporting culture as in, you know, the the Red Bull, yeah. uh, uh, the Red Bull, um, what you call it, franchise or whatever. Um, you know, they're very much a case of pushing the boundaries, breaking new ground, et cetera, et cetera. And that certainly seems to be the case when you talk to people at Leipzig. They're very ambitious, whereas Dortmund, I just don't get the same impression of them. Yeah, I think with Le- with Leipzig, you know, I mean, Red Bull is used to win in every sport that they're in, right? Whether it's the, the hockey, whether it's Formula One, uh, whether it's skiing, um, they're, used, they're used to winning. And I, I think that they actually have a plan to win with, um, and I mean, obviously they win in football as well with Salzburg uh, quite a bit. Um, I think they have a plan to be winning with Leipzig as well. Um, I think that is very much a goal that they have. Um I think they're also just realistic enough that it is not going to happen right away. But I think, you know, they're inching and rubbing their way closer and closer to Bayern Munich, um, which is something you don't really have the sense with Borussia Dortmund. I think that is a huge difference right there, hmm. that there seems to be a plan. And I actually, as you were speaking there, I was just kind of going through my head. Um, when was the last transfer that made Leipzig worse? They sold, like a player that they sold, you know, um, whether it's Naby Keita to Liverpool, they didn't get worse after that. Um, you know, Julian Nagelsmann. Like, when they sold Ipre- yeah, Nagelsmann actually, you know, like, yeah, they stumbled a couple of times, but like, on, on, they now probably found the right coach and Marco Rose. Uh, Ibrahima Konwate and, uh, Dayot Upamecano were sold for a lot of money and Josko Guardiola looks better than either one of them. Um, they've already lined up a replacement for Josko Guardiola should he leave eventually. I mean, when was the last transfer that made them, significantly worse hmm. other yeah. than maybe Nagelsmann short like for a short moment but other than that like this Conrad Leimer deal to Bayern Munich like people were saying oh look Bayern Munich are raiding another raiding Leipzig again they're making a team worse it's like Leimer has barely played this year hmm. like he's yeah. not going to move the needle either yeah, either exactly. club yeah, and I think, and I think, and I think that's exactly it, isn't it? For Leipzig to be in that position, they obviously have to have the money to buy these players to offer them the wages that are competitive. But they also have mm-hmm. to have the intelligence, they have to have the data, they have to have analytics to be two or three steps ahead. And that's exactly kind of what Leipzig are doing. So, you know, as the kind of questioner points out, you know, a lot of people have issues with Leipzig as a club, and I think that's a perfectly legitimate problem to have. Yeah. Um, but you cannot do anything you have to kind of admire the fact that they are trying to outsmart the opposition in the Bundesliga I'd so I'd go so far as to say that they have now eclipsed Dortmund in that regard they might I mean they should finish above them in the league I know they haven't uh, for a while now I mean well technically that's not true but you know they've obviously not really got any closer to a, a Bundesliga title and well since obviously Nagelsmann was there I suppose but um I think from a sporting point of view, they probably are just about eclipsed Dortmund in that regard. In the sense that I, I do look at those squads and expect, and and would say Leipzig should finish above Dortmund. I'll go so far as to say that. And obviously I kind of yeah. expect them to do exactly that uh, this season. Uh, and they're now obviously working towards trying to outsmart Bayern, which you know we can spend mm. another 45 minutes talking about how important the league is is for the league to have a club like that right now or a team like that or, an opera, or a sporting project right, yeah. like that. Uh, whether it's ideal for the culture of German football or not, it's probably a different debate. debate. But I think, that's, I think that's certainly what it comes down to and why they have eclipsed Dortmund. They have the money to challenge Dortmund, but they also have the analytics and the brains to outsmart them too. Uh, and I think they're putting both to good use. Yeah, I think I've written that in a substack. Um late last year that there is executives of other Bundesliga teams that wish they were a little bit more like Leipzig, you know? And I mean, Bobic kind of alluded to it a little bit in his interview too, that sometimes it's easier when you just have one owner. Um, (laughs) Not many executives in German football would admit this, but Leipzig have the luxury of just, if they want to do something, they just do it. They don't have to ask if the fan base, I mean, there is a lots of Leipzig fans, but they have no say. And, that sometimes makes things easier, right? 
Um, yeah. And I think too, what's really important, and this was also pointed to, out to me by people working in the Bundesliga who, not surprisingly, want to stay anonymous <laughs> because of the 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 the, the way the German that the team is sometimes perceived within Germany, is that if the league wants to sell itself internationally, they need RB Leipzig to to compete and beat Bayern. Um, and I think even people with Bayern would be the first to admit this. That's just the reality. You know, within Germany, if Leipzig win the title or not, we saw it with the DFB Pokal. Lots of people were upset, right? But at the end of the day, people still watch. Um, so, you know, within Germany, there might be a, an uproar. But abroad, it would actually probably perceive as something positive. And that's where the league needs to sell itself. The Bundesliga will always automatically sell itself in Germany. That's not what this is about. This is about selling the league abroad. And for that, it needs Leipzig. Yeah, and we perhaps now live in a world where the kind of people that would tune in to watch German football abroad probably have more of a kind of um, warm feeling towards Red Bull because they're maybe F1 fans, for example, you know. So we might live in a weird world yeah. where Red Bull is a probably more notable and more kind of household name than maybe Borussia Dortmund. But anyway, I think we should probably call it quits there, Manu, because we could quite happily stumble down that rabbit hole and talk about the importance of marketing and sports business for the next half an hour. But uh, I think we'll wrap it up there. And uh, yeah, have you got anything to add before we pack pack it up? Yeah, this, I mean, as always, the show is brought to you by Bet Online, right? Uh, thank you for everyone for subscribing. Um, the feedback of the Bobich interview and then the recap that we did uh, for all subscribers was quite excellent, Stefan. So thank you for everyone reaching out and I'm glad people enjoyed it. I thought it was an excellent interview as well. Um, and I kind of want to point out that a lot of things that we discussed at the tail end of the show also were discussed in the Bobich and uh, the Bobich interview, but also the Bobich um, kind of like feedback show that we did, right? Um, mm. So if you're interested in that, uh, give that a listen. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Always worth looking back through the last kind of podcast because we do we do do quite a lot of them right now. We do at least three a week, so uh, it's quite easy to miss them, yeah. especially if you're not subscribed to the main show. Um, but yeah, as ever, thanks again for listening. As Manu said, the show is sponsored by Bet Online, and we will be back next week with the main show. But until then, we'll speak to you later. So goodbye. Auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean not a cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.